The scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. And if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, that would be on page 863, 863. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. We've made mention this morning to uh, the events of the last few days and the notion of the second coming of Christ and herald camping. What I've kind of focused on, I guess, in my own thoughts about all of that is the number of people that I know this morning are hurting and are disappointed and are being ridiculed probably by friends that they know. And I kind of hurt for them today. It would be easy for me to to feel as though, well, here's just another person who you know, is a false teacher or somebody who's confused or a bad interpreter or one, whatever one wants to say. But I think more than all of those feelings, I just am kind of hurting for all of those people today who hurt. A lot of people have been deceived. When I read one of those stories about someone who gave up his life savings in order to post billboard messages because he thought the world was going to end and he wouldn't need the money. Or those people who sold their houses, gave up everything, left their jobs. Like, I wonder how many people told their boss off on Friday, thinking on Saturday they wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. I, uh, I worry about those people. And I have a feeling that depression is going to be their lot for many of them as they think about what this means for them now. Well, on top of all of that, of course, there's been a lot of damage done, I think, to the cause of Christ. There are going to be people who seize this opportunity to criticize Christianity. Not only can the critics now bring up the Crusades from a thousand years ago, which seems to me like it's always getting mentioned by somebody who wants to criticize our faith, but those who see in this event a renewed problem are going to continue to bring this one up as well. We do need to understand our faith. We do need to understand biblical Christianity. We need to understand what the Bible says. Unfortunately, there have been an awful lot of people in the last few days have been inoculated against the authentic teachings of Christ. That's unfortunate. It will perhaps provide you with some conversations. I'm sure it already has. I know it has with Robin at work. It, it's provided some opportunities for us to talk about it here too. But that's probably not quite as significant as it might be for you in your context, in a work context or something, to be able to talk about the events uh, that were predicted and didn't come to pass. And give you an opportunity maybe to discuss with someone about who Jesus is. Now, my own opinion is, by the way, just in case you're a guest with us today and you don't know where we or I might stand on such things, 
I am, think scripture is very clear about the inappropriateness, the falsity of predicting the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that the idea of rapture, as it's presented in scripture, isn't actually presented in scripture. I would say that it's part of dispensationalism, a way of looking at things which I don't find meshes very well with the Bible, and so I would say it's actually unbiblical. The idea, in my view, of you standing one day next to someone who is suddenly gone, or you being the person who is suddenly gone, and they look and wonder, well, what happened to Kelly? I don't think is an accurate depiction of what's going to happen at the end of time, or what's going to happen with our world. And there are a lot of people who've been deceived along those lines as well, in my humble opinion. So we need to be thinking about these things and taking them seriously and knowing what the Bible says and also protecting what we think is the truth about Jesus. Now, having said all that, there is a part of me that admires people who are willing to sell their homes and give up their money and look like fools for the cause of Jesus Christ, or at least what they believed is the cause of Jesus Christ. And while I think that they have been led down a path that led them astray, I have to admire at some level people who are willing to put themselves out there like that and to take so seriously what they thought was the truth about Christ. I think they were mistaken. But I appreciate the enthusiasm. I appreciate the tenacity that it took for people to stand in airports and on sidewalks and to pass out tracks and to wear billboards that said, it's coming on May 21st, you better be ready. If we thought that that was the case with us, like if we thought that this was going to happen and we, and we were convinced that the day was going to come, would you be willing? Would you? If you really thought it was true? And it raises the question about the fact, and John kind of mentioned this before, that it is true. And we may not know the day. We don't know the date. There's an awful lot that I don't understand about those events as they unfold. But when I think about the fact that Jesus is in fact going to return and that the world around me doesn't know him, it makes me wonder if we shouldn't take more seriously the call to talk to others about Jesus. The call to say to the world, you need to know him. You need to understand that Jesus is really the Lord of this universe. We're going to talk about that some more here in just a moment. But what I want to do right now is just pray. And I want to ask God to be with all these hurting people today. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, Harold Camping seems to be a confused individual about you. I actually think he probably has a good heart. He probably wants good things to happen. But I think he's confused. 
And I don't think he's much of an interpreter when it comes to your word. Father, I would bless, I would pray your blessings on his followers, on him. I would pray, God, that you would give them a sense of somehow comfort and peace today and not just embarrassment and pain and ridicule. Father, I pray that you would lead them, lead him to seek after a position that adheres better to the biblical picture of what it is that you're unfolding on our world. Father, we don't pay enough attention to it. I'm, I'm grateful in one sense that they do. But Father, as they and we look at your word, help us to have clearer understanding than that. Help us long to do your will, to think of you correctly, to understand. Father, help us to see the point of passages that say not to worry so much about what day, but that there will be a day. Help us not so much, Father, to predict the end, but to live in light of the end. Help our our lives to reflect that, our speech to reflect that, our conversations with those around us to reflect that. And for the opportunities we've had, Father, to talk to others because of all these events as they've unfolded, I pray that you would help us in our own context to say words that will touch people's hearts. Father, if we're fools, we want to be fools for your cause. We pray that we would have impact on our world because of the good news of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I do want to, uh, to talk about the Great Commission this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, if you would. The reason for that is because we have been talking about post-resurrection experience. The post-resurrection experiences that Jesus had with the apostles. And this is one. This is the most famous of all. Now, usually, when we start to do this, talk about this passage, I mean, we talk about going into all the world, sharing the message of the good news. And that's actually a common element in Matthew 28 and in the other accounts of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So, for example, in Luke chapter 24, just stay there in Matthew for now, but just listen to this. It says, He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then He says, you are witnesses of these things. And so we Christians are witnesses of the things that have happened with the gospel, and we have the opportunity to share those good things with our world. So this notion of going, like we see in Matthew chapter 28, it's certainly there in Luke 24, and that post-resurrection account of Jesus. Then in Mark 16, verse 15, it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So again, there's this notion of going into the world. And then when you do look at Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this, the centrality of the idea of going in the name of Jesus is there for sure. 
Now we talked in the last couple of weeks about the notion of missionality a bit. Like we tend to say to people, come to our assemblies. Or we say to people, come to our event. Come to our Bible study. Come to our life group. And we do invite people a lot to come and do things with us. And what I said the last couple of weeks was, maybe we need to think more seriously about going. And if you look at these passages, Luke 24, Mark 16, Matthew 28, it doesn't say, go and gather them. It says, go to them. So we're not trying to gather anybody. We're not trying to bring them in so much as we're trying to go to them. So the idea of going is certainly central to the biblical picture. What I think is fascinating in Matthew 28 is not so much the go passage as the verses that come before that and after that that speak specifically about who Jesus is as we go. And so look first of all at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, now listen to these words and and think for a moment about the significance of this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now that's a fascinating line. In our world, what we hear is that Omar Gaddafi wants to have all authority. And he doesn't want to give it up. What we hear is that there's going to be a conflict in Iran between the head religious leader and the president because both of them want to be the ultimate voice in that country. What we find in Canada is that there's a prime minister who wants to be in authority and that there are other parties who would love to have him no longer be in authority because they'd like to be in authority. We find the same thing in the United States, of course. People longing to get rid of the authority, not so that no one can be of authority, of course, and not so that Jesus can be the authority, but so that they can be the authority. And my Bible keeps telling me that all authority has been given to Jesus. And we need to take that seriously. The second verse, which I find so fascinating, is the one right at the end. Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I think what we have here with these two statements is we have one who says, I have absolutely all authority, and then a statement right after it that says, and I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but that makes me feel pretty good. Here I stand as a very humble servant, and I don't mean humble in character in the sense that I think I'm... I'm filled with humility. I wish I was more filled with humility. I just mean my circumstances are fairly humble in our world. I recognize who I am before God. I'm a sinner who doesn't have much right to stand before him. That's what I mean by my humility. 
And I stand before the Lord of glory who says, not only is he the authority, but he is with me. And all of a sudden, my status just got elevated drastically. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And what that does is it completely changes everything about my effort when I go. Because if I go into all the world and preach the gospel, and the one who is all the authority in the world is with me, As I go, all of a sudden, every effort that I make is changed. My approach and my attitude as I go into the world is completely altered. It has to be because the one who is the authority over all things says he will specifically be with me as I go. And he'll always be with me and he'll always be with you. And I can't think of anything that will change more my perspective about my own going than this idea That he is with me. And that he is all authority as I go. And so what I want to do right now. I I think this is very significant actually. This idea that he is all authority. And he's with us as we go. And what I want to do right now. Is I want to talk about how this changes us. Because there have been lots of surveys done about why Christians don't share their faith. And it typically comes down to about three things. Every time, every survey I've ever seen comes down to these three things. Number one, we say that we don't know enough. Ever said that? Ever thought to yourself, I can't share Jesus with people because I just don't know enough. The second thing is, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to initiate the conversation. I'm not sure what I would tell them. And the third thing is, I don't want to be rejected. Or I'm afraid that my efforts won't be successful. And so those are the basic reasons why we tend not to share the gospel. And what I think is that this idea that Jesus is number one, all authority, and number two, with us as we go, completely alters that if we think about it. So here's my question for you, and I want to get some feedback this morning from you. Tell me how it is that verse 18 and the idea that Jesus has all authority and then verse 20 where it says that he is with us to the very end of the age, how is it that those two ideas, verse 18 and verse 20, completely alter for us what's in verse 19? Because verse 19 tells us to go. And we tend to be hesitant for the reasons that I just named. So how is it that verse 18 and verse 20 completely alter the way that we look at verse 19? And the way that we look at our own going into the world? Okay, church, let's talk about this. Tell me, how does it change? Steve? Isn't that so true? If you didn't hear that, he said the outcome is ultimately not up to me. And he's so right. Steve is a talented individual from what I can tell. He does fine in his world. He's got a good family. All those things are wonderful for Steve. But when it comes to comparing Steve's abilities in this area to the Lord Jesus, he fails miserably. He is not at all what God is with reference to God's authority 
or just this notion of being with us as the world hears the gospel. God is there with us as he, we preach the gospel and through his spirit transforms things and changes things. Steve can't do that. He can be a conduit. He can share. But he needs the Holy Spirit who promises to be with him as he goes, which is the blessing. How else are we affected positively by this? Indeed, there are, we know well the passage where the disciples are sent into the world and they're told not to worry about what they're going to say at various times because the Holy Spirit is with them as they go. And the same situation is true with this too. I think the Holy Spirit is definitely there with us as we go to talk to others. Do we really think that God is just going to leave us ignorant? That there won't be a power there, an ability for us to say things that God wants to be said in our world as we talk to others? We, we, say, we say that we're afraid, and yet the Lord of glory stands with us as we go, ready to empower us as we go. And it's totally appropriate for people to think to themselves, well, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, but I have confidence that God is going to bless me in the midst of this. God's spirit will indeed bless you as you talk to others about him. I don't have much doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. So we need to take some risk there because God's spirit is with us. How else does, do these passages impact us? I didn't hear the last part, but I think I can predict it. I think you said, we'll go ahead and do our part and God will do his part. He'll do what he needs to do. And I think that's absolutely right. That's one of John's favorite Lines, you know, the idea that we all have different parts. And so I have my part and you have your part and God has his part. And this passage is so clear that God has his part. And do we think he won't do it? Of course he'll do it. What else? I, I absolutely agree. Having faith and allowing God to lead the way in this area of our lives is absolutely crucial. And if we have that, my impression is that God will bless us. He'll bless his word as it goes forth. Jim? It just flows because he's there. He says he will be with us. And if he's that present in our lives, then he will just flow out of us as we go to share with others the good news of Christ. Okay, I'll take one more. Jordan. The peace that comes with not being in authority. Yeah, aren't you really grateful that we can turn that over to him? Like, it's really nice for me not to say that I'm absolutely responsible for the conversion of everybody in northeast Calgary. That's not my responsibility. The Lord is the one who is the authority over all of that. And he is the one who wants to convert them. And my impression is, is that I, if I open up my life to him, if I venture out a bit in faith, if we all do that, there's great possibilities for God to work through us and to do wonderful things as we live our, leave ourselves open to being changed by him in that way. Well, I absolutely agree with all the sentiments that are expressed.
I think scripture speaks powerfully to this issue. And I think, I mean, clearly you have a solid understanding of the idea that God is with us, that he is the authority and that wonderful things can happen as we go venturing into our world with the good news of Christ. And so my question is, are we going to do it? Like, if I guaranteed you, absolutely guaranteed you, and you totally believed me, that you could go up here on the top of the roof over here and jump... And I'm going to catch you. And you had visions of me much different than you have of them right now. And you think that maybe I really could catch you. Would you jump? Like if you really thought I could do it. Would you go? What's that? I'm not interested And I get that. There comes a time in our lives, right, when we have to kind of say, yes, I really believe this. Like, I really do believe that God is going to bless me in this way. I believe what scripture says. The testimony is that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and that he's with me to the very end of the age. And if that's the case, if he really is the authority and he really is with me, then it looks to me like verse 19 is covered. It's taken care of that I should, in fact, feel pretty good about going into the world and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because He is with me as I go. And so here's a promise, He says, and I want you to act on that promise And so the question maybe today is, do we really, 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 really believe God about this? Do you really believe him? If you do. If you really believe him, are you willing to look like a fool on his behalf? Are you willing to risk the possibility of the world ridiculing you? If you thought that the only way the gospel was going to go out into your world was that you'd have to sell your house or give up your life savings, would you do it? And if the only way that somebody who is in the cubicle next to you is going to hear about Jesus is from you, are you willing to take the risk knowing that he, all authority, is with you to the very end of the age? It may well be that the world's life depends on your response to that question. 
I pray that God blesses us, that we will have the strength to answer it faithfully. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be fools for you. Father, we want to do so well-grounded in Scripture. We want to do so interpreting your word in productive ways. Father, as I interpret these verses today, they give me an awful lot of confidence about what I think you're trying to do in our world. And we do believe that you're the authoritative voice in our world. We believe that you're with us as we go into this world. And so give us your strength. Help us to risk. Help us to make some sacrifices. Help us, Father, to act on what it is that we believe. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.